Okay, welcome back to another uh, recording of the Slam podcast after a busy a busy week in golf, um, and it's going to become even busier as we've got the US Open at Los Angeles Country Club ahead. Um, first things first, the Slam podcast is proudly sponsored by Callaway, and they had another um, impressive week on tour, this time on the LPGA Tour with Ashley Buhai, who uses a Callaway Paradigm uh, triple diamond driver. And she managed to win the ShopRite LPGA Classic. So another successful week. She won by one shot um, from Hyoju Kim. And yeah, so just more success for Callaway. And we've become quite used to that this season. Um, and joining me today, it's Steve Carroll, who you'll know from the From the Clubhouse podcast. Is it your slam debut, Steve, or isn't it? Yes, I'm, I'm moonlighting, uh, coming across <laughs> to... Fill the tour gap. Um, Ashley works with Duncan McCarthy, doesn't she? Uh, friend of the podcast, Duncan McCarthy. Okay. Who's? So, oh, I've not met that. I've not, I've not met Duncan. I don't think. Oh, sports publications visiting legend. If you haven't, <laughs> right. you, you, you'll, you'll soon you'll soon get to know Duncan. Lovely guy. But Ashley's working, I think, with him. Um, um, yeah, very impressive performance. Very pleased to see her doing well. Certainly, um, and an exciting night on the on the PGA Tour as well. Um, unfortunately for us, sort of UK fans, we wanted to see Tommy Fleetwood win, but unfortunately he didn't. Um, it took four holes for Nick Taylor to hold a seventy-two foot putt to win the RBC Canadian Open. Um, did you did you stay up for the end, or did you did you did you go to bed? I went to bed. Is that wrong? Mm. Um, I, I went the second playoff hole. And I thought this might go on for a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the fact the fact that it went to the fourth um, is interesting. Yeah, really, really disappointing, I suppose. I mean, great, great form from Tommy, but it'll definitely be a disappointment for him not to have got over the hump on the PGA Tour. I mean, great news, Ryder Cup wise, because he's obviously <clears> in great form, which is fantastic, and he's too good a player not to get a PGA Tour win. But mm. um, I mean, I, I saw um, when he got into trouble on the playoff in the playoff hole and that putt that he hold just to make sure that it carried on was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And uh, he obviously had a chance to win it, didn't he? In regulation time, as it were. And it was unfortunately painful. could only par. Yeah, it was a little it, bit. It, it yeah. Unfortunately. It, wasn't it? Um, Cause once he birdied sort of 16 and 17, a lot of players were birdying 18, weren't they? Um, obviously he had a strategy to play that hole with an iron, mm. um, which he continued obviously to do in the playoff. Um, but you do have to make sure that the iron hits the fairway. And, and obviously it got him into all sorts of trouble, didn't it, on the 72nd hole. It'd be great to make sure that he got into the playoffs, some absolutely mm. nerveless stuff. And what can you do about a 72-foot putt? Just put your hands up and say, well done, yeah. Nick. Um, I mean, it's a matter of time, I think, before before he wins a PGA Tour event. Um, he keeps knocking on the door. Mm. But in the main, just great to see him back in form, you know, with the US Open this week and the Ryder Cup of which he is obviously now going to be a pivotal part um, around the corner later this summer. We've also Tyrrell Hatton in tied second place as well. It looked like he could have he could have um, <clears throat> tasted victory yesterday, but um, obviously Nick and Tommy uh, making a couple too many birdies for him in the, in the well, last few holes. I mean, that double that double early on, mm. say early on, killed him. I mean, clearly it didn't because he had like 10 birdies and what an amazing back nine. Didn't he birdie the last four? In a Possibly, row, I mean, yeah. I mean, sensational mm. bit of form. Um, but that that double in the end um, was what obviously 
kept him from just being a shot or two shot. But again, yeah, as you mm. say, I mean, th- there's some pivotal players who are starting to play very, very well. I mean, I'm sure um, in the US Open preview, you'll talk about Rory. And all right, Rory had another flattish final round, I suppose. But he's there. He's there in the conversation every week. Now Fleetwood is this week. Tyrrell Hatton playing well. You know, Ram obviously having won the first uh, major of the year. I mean, it's it, it, uh, Hovland having won recently. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm feeling like if we can keep these form levels up, I'm feeling genuinely optimistic about Rome. Actually, yeah, yeah. It was nice to see Lowry and Hatton and Rose behind the green, as well as all the Canadians watching w- w- watching Tommy come in. Yeah, um, and and then Rose has had a good week as well, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Rel- so, and there's obviously won this year, so lots and lots of like positive stuff going on. Yeah, as the weeks go by, I think Luke Donald will be rubbing, rubbing his hands together. Um, and, well, the RBC Canadian Open, I mean, it will probably be both looking forward to and dreading next year because it seems that some sort of massive news story or some sort of massive controversy happens at the RBC Canadian Open. So on Tuesday, um, it, it, the, the une- massively unexpected news broke, um, as you all will know. Um, that the PJ Tour and the DP World Tour and the Public Investment Funds of Saudi Arabia are going to sort of jo- combine forces. Um, and in this merger, all the litigation proceedings between the parties are going to be dropped. Um, P- the PIF will make a capital investment in the new entity. Um, and it was done over seven weeks, um, very much a, a backdoor, very much a backdoor um seven-week process of negotiations with, you know, various... I read a cracking uh, the cracking article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday um, of the, the details of how this was hashed out um, with Jay Monaghan meeting Yazir Al-Rumayan in, in Venice and things like that, and it and it got over the line over seven weeks with, people, with key players like Jimmy Dunn and Ed Hurley um, who we probably hadn't, uh, a lot of golf fans wouldn't have heard of before this week, and they've suddenly become massive players in golf's future. Um, so I've just, I've just sort of stated a few facts there of, of the situation. They're meant to create a schedule, a, co- a cohesive schedule of events um, in which they're going to, they're going to try and provide a fair and objective process for players to reapply for their memberships. Um, Monaghan is still the commissioner, but Yazir Arumayan will be the chairman of the new entity. And, he, and uh, yes, Arumayan is also joining the PJ Tour Policy Board, which is certainly another um, s- sentence that no one thought they were going to hear this year. Um, w- when I saw Arumayan and Monaghan on that CNBC broadcast, it was like one of those um, one of those sort of programs about deep fakes, um, wasn't it? It was just it was just bizarre. Uh, what, what, what opinion have you have you formed on it, Steve? Scenes you never thought you'd see. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing that, that sort of struck me was how they managed to keep this so quiet. I mean, in a, in a world where you basically can't go out of your front door without some sort of camera on you. Uh, <laughs> incredible that they managed to do these clandestine negotiations for seven weeks without nobody knowing what was going on. I mean, I, I think Rory had said that he'd heard there was some kind or he'd been told there was some kind of mm. chat, but, but certainly nothing... <laughs> to suggest we were going to get to where we are now. I mean, the timing of the news, I think, is more surprising than the news. Um, Anyone with half a brain um, would have realised that at some point in the piece, the PGA Tour and Liv, obviously the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, were going to have to, at some point, 
not combined, not necessarily join an entity. I know we've been told off for calling it mergers, mm. um, but but come to an understanding. I mean, there was there was going to ha- you can't have um, rival tours, one of which appears to have unlimited cash funds banging at each other in legal disputes without there being some sort of compromise. I mean, that that is not. That's not, I suppose, what a lot of people will want to hear, and particularly those who ranged on either side of the fence on on the PGA Tour and live. But it's just business. And at the end of the day, money talks. And the amount of money that was being poured into both the legal disputes, mm. the PGA Tour in terms of enhanced prizes, live in terms of the amounts of money they were offering to golfers and the amount of prize money they were offering. I mean, sure. I would have thought it would have just been unsustainable over the long run. So while the timing of these talks caught everybody by surprise, particularly, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, what's been said over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, I think the fact that there is an understanding now between the organisations is is not a massive leap in the imagination. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, the timing is quite mad. Um, and... I think personally, the litigation situation is a massive factor. I think because it, it's that word sustainable. Like, like that was just not sustainable, according to a couple of reports. Um, the PGA Tour had already spent fifty million on, on on legal fees, and also I imagine the, the public investment fund were spending that a similar amount, um, even for a, even for a, a sovereign wealth fund that has got unlimited wealth. They don't want to be paying out money for legal fees for, for, for a court case that doesn't that might not even start until January twenty twenty four as well. Well, well, there's a truism, Matt, that in legal proceedings, the only people who win are the lawyers. Yeah, I've, so, I've seen that. I've yeah. seen that a couple of times this week. Well, it's certainly true, isn't it? Because all, all, amongst all this controversy, they are sort of the silent winners, aren't they? Um, but especially as the PJ Tour felt felt um, compelled to go toe-to-toe for live golf in terms of prize purses as well. Even even increasing so much as they did, um, over $100 million this season for these designated events, that's, they still don't match the $25 million on offer each week with live golf events. So that shows the scale in which they would have had to have keep kept on increasing their prize purses. I, I, I also think that the longer this situation went unresolved, and it's not... That's, that's a... That's an odd phrase because it's not resolved yet. We've obviously just got a framework. But the longer this went on, the longer that Liv became established, the longer, the more seasons that Liv went into, the the threat to the PGA Tour, I think, mm. may have been that other <clears throat> big-name players may then have taken not taking the money. That's yeah, taking the money because they're, mm. they're being offered. They're being offered huge sums, aren't they? And you know, you talk about playing less, playing schedule, and all that sort of thing. But I mean, primarily, you know, the sort of signing bonus offers that, that some players have reportedly had are enormous. And I suppose for the first year or two, there is this idea of well, will the league last? Um, what is the concentration factor between those who are running it to keep going with it, given that? Mm perhaps the revenues produced by it and the TV revenue, for example, wasn't quite what they want. But the longer that goes on and the more they're going to attract other players, I mean, I, th- I, I it was only a report that I saw, so I don't know if it's accurate, but there was a report that said that 
there were negotiations going on with another extremely big name player, and you know there was a domino effect to start with with Liv of a certain class of player that then mm. went over to the to the PGA Tour. Sorry, over to Liv, which culminated obviously with Cameron Smith. It was like the last big huge one. But you know, if they'd been able to attract a couple of in their prime major winners, for example, this year or next year, then the pressure just increases and increases and increases. And, it, and at some point, you know, you get over a threshold. So, um, again, as, as we said earlier on, a surprise, uh, particularly the timing is a surprise, as I said, particularly given what we thought the nature of the relationship was and mm-hmm. where they were, but, but, I mean, people will kick me for saying this, but I'm sure. But there's there's no surprise to me that in the end, there's been some sort of agreement which will then move into a more comprehensive restructuring yeah. of men's professional golf. Once everyone sort of stopped jumping up and down and and sort of screaming at the news, you just I, I feel like I did sort of just sit back and think, well, this obviously had to happen. Um, but I think, Can, I mean, I'm sure there are some people on the PGA Tour side of the debate who would have liked to have seen Liv crushed, right? Yeah. But can you can you can you crush an entity that appears to have unlimited finance? And, and, right. and that that I think is that I think is the key question. I mean, however distasteful you find the politics, um, you know, if your end game is the destruction of one organization over another and that other organization has got deep 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 yeah. pockets then it's not going to happen is it yeah, yeah. i mean the first thing i thought of when it, it, it was announced and i was reading through the initial statement by the pga tour I, I, my first thought was how how is jay monahan going to explain this how, how is he going to explain this complete u-turn because Last year, well, since the Live Live Golf's inception, J- Jay Monahan is when he's spoken in public, um, he, he's taken it all very personally. Like in the last twelve months, he's he's become very emotional when he's spoken in public, especially last this time last year when he was speaking to Jim Nance about um, referring to do players have to apologise for being members of the PGA Tour? So that is the biggest U turn and the biggest criticism that should be thrown at Jay Monaghan, I think, and, and, and rightfully so. It certainly makes his position as commissioner far less tenable. Um, it, I, I, Rory was, I thought Rory was quite kind to him last week when he still said that he had his, Monaghan still had Rory's support. But it, even even for someone like Rory, who must work so closely with, with, with Monaghan, must be thinking now, because if, if, if you haven't got the full support of the membership, which it doesn't seem like he does, based on the, the multiple reports and details that came out of that players' meeting last week, where a lot of people were calling for his calling for his head, people calling him a hypocrite, saying it had been done behind all, behind the players' backs. You, you would assume that that, that, that Monaghan, his position now, is it must be on thin ice, surely. Well, this is just a personal opinion. Um I wonder whether it's a coincidence that he is the CEO of the new entity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 by all by all accounts, he got quite a hostile response at the um, players' meeting at the at the RBC Canadian Open. I'm not surprised. Um, you know, he's been he's made some pretty. 
big statements um, and made some pretty big judgments on people who went to live and on live golf in general. So to, to, so to then appear to completely about face um, is obviously going to leave him in a very difficult position. I mean, I, I read there was a story I read earlier on this week on The Athletic where Monaghan said he regretted not communicating with the families of 9-11 victims before the organisation's merger with Live Golf. Unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable when you consider that he said that joiners who, con- who were joining Live were basically akin to supporting those involved with 9-11. I mean, absolutely yeah. unbelievable to not speak to those people before then announcing yeah. those decisions, you know, not really talking to Rory and Tiger. I mean, Rory's been left on an absolute limb here. Now, right, it's up to Rory what stance that he takes. Um, and there were other people who 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 took very mu- much more guarded positions about Liv and the PGA Tour, John Rahm being one, right? Mm. So, it's up to, so it's up to Rory, the the direction of conversation that he takes and the tone in which he takes it. And he decided to be extremely stridently anti-Liv, almost became the de facto PGA Tour spokesman. Um, and and that's, that's on him. You know, nobody forced him to go that far down the line. There were other golfers who did not, who, who as like I say, like Ram. But he, he has to feel like he's been completely shafted. Yeah. But 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 I mean I, I don't see what other word what other word you can I mean this man yeah. crushed this man has had friendships crushed because of the PGA to live golf split. So so the now for them to kind of come together and I, I wonder what it'll do to him. Um one of the things I really like about McElroy is that he is not unguarded, that's not the right word, but he's honest. He's particularly honest in the way mm. that he speaks. He tells you what he thinks. And in a media world where everybody speaks in scripts and you know the most simple questions are driven back with a straight bat, um, it's really nice to have that, that kind of honesty and that kind of openness and that kind of straight talking. I really admire that about McElroy. But if I was McElroy now, I'd be thinking getting some of these questions and thinking, why should I? Yeah. Why should I? Because I'm just going to be made to look like an idiot <clears throat> sort of six to 12 months out of the line. I, I actually think he's come out of this with, depending on which side of the debate you're on, if you're on the anti-live side, Rory's come out of this with with quite a lot of prestige. I mean, yeah, he's, being, certainly. he's being sort of elevated as this guy that sort of stayed true to his, you know, to his thoughts and didn't yeah. compromise and so on and so forth. But... Um, I don't know what I don't know where that leaves him going forward. Uh, Monaghan, I mean, Monaghan's got an enormous amount of bridge building to do. Mm. I, 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 it's it, again, it's a personal opinion. I'm not sure that he can survive it, um, but I don't think that it will be any time soon. Yeah. But I also, as I said earlier, you know, I I don't think it's a coincidence that he will be CEO of the new entity as well. Mm. I think with Rory. He's been so vocal and so he did so much of Monaghan's sort of bidding in in, in public when Monaghan wasn't face wasn't facing the public or any doing any press conferences. I've alluded to it on previous Slam podcasts how I know that I know the PGA Tour have this like player led player led approach, and I think that is obviously the best way to go because they're the ones playing, they're the ones who see the experience, so they need to shape what the PGA Tour is like. But McElroy played such a 
such an invested role in the last few in the last year or so. And I've, I've mentioned it on a previous slam. I, I, there's no there's no surprise that he's that he's not getting some of the results that that he wants. I know he he won in Dubai in January and he came very close to the Arnold Palmer Invitational and he's still banking these top tens. He played well at the Memorial Tournament, so he's still banking top tens and playing better than most players in the tour. I just think if he washed his hands with the player advisory council and just stopped all the administrative stuff and just focus on his golf. I think that's I think that's what that's helped John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. I think there's a big reason why you see them playing well. Obviously they're playing well because they're brilliant ball strikers, players, whatever you want to call them. But they're just they're not involved in the admin. They're not involved in the politics. And they've got they've not got that pecking at their head. So I think I mean I agree with you to a point, but what I would say is I think there are some more technical and statistical reasons behind why McElroy's not winning. I mean, you know, if if that was clearly the case, you'd expect McElroy to be missing cuts, be down mid table. That, yeah, that's not right. the case. McElroy is putting himself in contention; he's just not getting it done on the final yeah. round. And last yesterday was another example of that. You know, he's there; he's two shots behind yeah. going into the final round. But he was unable to push on, and I think I, I, I personally think there were some more technical issues. Yeah, maybe some, you know, maybe surrounding his wedge play or some more, mm. um, uh, some more sort of playing issues rather than oh my god, I'm so weighed down by what's yeah. going on with, with with Liv and the PGA Tour that I can't perform. I'm not sure that's the case. He's in he's in position enough. No. I'd say I'd say that's right in terms of his form. However, I don't I certainly don't think it helps. I think it was most no. evident at the Masters. You know, yeah. he he was just so fatigued. Um, but if we sort of move a discussion on to perhaps the DP World Tour, I mean, there there are still a lot of speculative points about this and and things we still need to know, um, such as what is this thing going to look like? Is there going to be a PGA Tour, a DP World Tour, a Live Golf schedule, and this new schedule? It, we don't know that yet, but in terms of the DP World Tour, I was sort of reading through the statement, the initial statement, and there's nowhere that Keith Pelly's name was mentioned. Um, so it would seem that the DP World Tour, are, I mean, unsurprisingly, because clearly the money's talking and the people who are putting up the most money are the ones that are going to make the, the, the biggest decisions and be involved in the, the policy boards. But for Keith Pelly not to be involved in even the policy boards um, and not to have not not to seem to have any administrative involvement, I think it's just indicative of the DP World Tour's sort of position in in World Golf. I mean, I imagine they'll I imagine they'll benefit from I imagine they'll benefit from higher prize purses. I assume in twenty twenty four the DP World Tour is going to see bigger prize purses, but is that going to attract um, better players? I don't know, really, because surely they're still all going to be gravitating towards Liv or or the PGA Tour. Well, people are always they're always saying, aren't they, at DP World Tour that they're not a feeder tour, they're not a second class tour at the PGA Tour. I mean, the reality is that all the top European players play largely on the PGA Tour. Mm. You've got a DP World Tour structure now that sends its 10 best players in its ranking lists every year to the PGA Tour, where are they going to play? I imagine they would try and take the benefits of playing on the PGA Tour if they actually got the credentials to do so. Uh, On the other side, um, this kind of settlement does provide a way back um, for some 
you can argue whether they're over the hill or not, but some still pretty big names in the European scene. Um, will they want to come back? Been a lot of there's been a lot of anguish there, hasn't mm. there on both sides. Will they want to come back? I suspect they will. Um, will they pay the money to come back? I imagine some fines will still apply. Um, but you, but you've got players like I mean, take aside, you know, the late forties brigade. Um, you've still got players like Keimer and mm. Wiesberger, um, where this offers a route back for them, and I'd be surprised if they didn't take it. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of speculation about what's going to happen with Liv. You know, is it going to carry on? Is it not going to carry on? My opinion, it's just an opinion, is that Liv will probably carry on because I know money's unlimited. I know that it, I know that they've got so much they're probably not that bothered about where they spend it. I'm sure that that's not true, but there are a lot of players on multi-year, long-term contracts. And if you fold up live tomorrow, um, I suppose Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson are very happy, aren't they? Because yeah. Cam, Cam Smith probably because they've yeah. received enormous amounts of money and then have had to do a massive amount of work for it. I'd be very surprised if that's the case. I think a lot. I think at least these contracts will run um, and we'll probably see. I, I, if, you, if you ask me the question, is there going to be a live golf tour in 2024? I'll say, yes, there is. I'll, I'll be surprised. If no, there I'd say it certainly is. I'd say that's a certainty. Like I think people are lurching to the thing of lives going to go under soon. And th- th- that might be true one day, but I think, well, according to a, a couple of reports, Greg Norman has, has rallied has rallied the troops at Live and, and said we've, we've got plans up until our twenty twenty five season and and onwards and and I do think that there is a lot of belief in their there's a lot of belief in their franchise structure with all the teams like the four aces and the cliques and all, all them like I think they do believe that they can grow into franchises and like a lot of a lot of work behind the scenes has been done to gain sponsorships and endorsements for those fran- for those teams. So I, don't I, would, think, I don't think they're just going to ditch that, are they? Well, what I would say is now that it's on the way to being legitimised, if that's the correct word, it's going to have to make some money mm-hmm. um, because the reason for doing it appears to have been satisfied. And I think that's why people believe that Live might get folded up because what was the reason for doing Live? Well, if you believe what what's come out subsequent, subsequently following the agreement it appears that the piff's main motivation was to get a seat at golf's table they wanted to be involved in in top class golf well now they are they've done it through a a circular route they've had to set up a tour in order to essentially force the pga tour to parlay but then now that's happened you, you could argue that um you could argue that the the, the reason for live um has kind of been settled but mm. On the other hand, um, huge amounts of money, as I've said, have been invested in this, and I'd, I'd be surprised if if that was well. We'll just call it a day, especially yeah, as exactly. especially as they especially if they then get OWGR status and and as big sports companies start investing in teams. I mean, this is persistent rumor about a certain sports apparel company at their yeah. one team and a lot of money and and if that if that starts to happen then that league begins to pay for itself and mm. i wonder if 
as it becomes, again, I use this word carefully, in inverted commas, legitimised, as Liv starts to be accepted at the golf table, are companies who perhaps were concerned about allegations of being involved in sports washing, for example, maybe they take a different opinion. Yeah. I don't know. It's now been, yeah, this so sort of, you might be suggesting that this this new alliance with the PGA Tour and DP World Tour, uh, it, it, it is a route for legitimisation for them, isn't it? It's a route for a better outlook. And I suppose some people would say that that's what, exactly what sports watching is. Um, but I think I've seen a lot of, I've read a lot of columns, like opinion columns on it this week. Um, and a lot of people have spoken like in like in sadness and like quite emotionally about the fact that the PJ Tour sort of succumbed um, to the riches of Saudi, the, the, the Saudi Arabia and the public investment funds. Um, but I think it just shows that how sort of, well, really a bit disgraceful how Monaghan sort of used the, the emotional leverage of 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 nine eleven and, and and that sentiment to rally to rally everyone around the PGA Tour, and then for them for him to do this instead, I think I think that's the only sad bit about it. But like Rory was like Rory was saying in the week, it is a case of just coming to just resigning to the fact that this is this is the way it is and the way it was always going to be. I think. If you have a public investment fund that's worth six hundred billion and they want to pump money into golf, then this was probably going to happen at some stage. We've got loads of uncertainties. I've noted down some sort of some things that we still need to know. We still need to know if this league is going, to, if this new schedule is going to happen next year. How many events are there going to be? How many events are players expected to to play if they're on the PJ Tour or Live or DP World Tour? Um, what the prize money will be? Um, Will it be more prize money than live offer? Um, will play yeah, like we mentioned earlier. Will, will players like Lee Westwood, Poulter, Sergio, will, will they want to return to the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour? And if they do, will they still have to pay fines for playing with Live um, because they'd have to? I assume they'd have to request releases still to play in Live under this new under this new umbrella. Um, so yeah. There's there's a there's countless there's countless unknowns. What broadcast station will it use? So there's a, there's there's a lot a lot of unknowns, isn't there? Yes, yeah. All questions, Matt, for another day. I think yeah. as well. There's there's a rather there's a rather big tournament going on this week, isn't there? There is, yeah. Um, and you've written a brilliant piece about LACC. Yeah, so we'll we'll hop over to the US Open now. What what have you learned about um, Los Angeles Country Club? It's sort of in the build up to the US Open. Well, I mean, it's going to be a surprise to a lot of players because none of them will have seen it. Yeah, um, because, because it's been, I think it's been seventy five years since the US Open was in Los Angeles. Never mind the uh, Los Angeles Country Club. Um, there are a couple of players who have seen it, most notably Scotty Scheffler and mm. Colin Morikawa, who played in the 2017 Walker Cup team. Scheffler had something of a, not a bit part, he played half the matches, but Morikawa was an absolute star of that team in 2017. And Morikawa is an LA native, so if you believe in the home comforts thing, 
um, then uh, he's got a, a decent chance this week. Obviously, a little bit of a concern with the back injury that he suffered a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, you, you can read what um, you can read what Colin Morikawa has to say about LA Country Club on our website at the moment. There's a piece with Colin talking about his US Open yeah. hopes. But 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 in general, I mean. I, I think this course will be slightly different. I mean, you've obviously seen the pictures of the US Open rough that everyone trots out every time <laughs> Every time there's a major, and you've seen a picture of a long, long par three. I mean, what I would say about that that about that hole, the 11th, that everyone's going nuts about because it's 290 yards, that um, that par three plays downhill significantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so perhaps it isn't as... Um, Perhaps it isn't as bad as everyone seems to think it is, but but generally speaking, what we're we going to expect from from LA Country Club, well, valleys, bumps, mires, crests. It'll probably be firm. It'll probably be bouncing. There's a barranca that works its way through several key holes, so there's there could be some penalty area problems for players. I think the fairways are generally considered to be a little wider than US Open mm-hmm. standard, and that the USGA and the course itself are looking for more consideration of angles and hitting shots in. Um, there are some large bunkers that go that go that go through this course. Gil Hans, who redesigned it, looks like he's done an amazing job. The pictures mm. that I've seen, um, it looks like a classic golden age golf course, and I, I do enjoy seeing tournaments on those kind of courses. I sort of think Riviera. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I think that. I think it will be a slightly different kind of US Open. I think um, there might be more playing from the short stuff. I mean, obviously, you'll still get punished mm. if you end up in if you end up in those in, in that long grass. But it's a different kind of grass that, that I think that we would normally see. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that, but I think it might be a sort of different kind of grass in the rough. So very intriguing, very intriguing major ahead. Yeah. I mean, much like what we've just talked about the PGA Tour, there's arguably a lot of unknowns with LACC because it's never been used for a major before. Um, will you be having a bet? Do you bet on golf? Occasionally. Mm-hmm. I used to. I used to bet a lot on golf, but I find myself a bit tied up these days. Yeah. So, uh, not so much. But anyway, I don't need to give you any thoughts about betting no. because you, you've got this comprehensively covered, have you not? We have, yeah. So next up, um, in the second half of the podcast, we are, well, I am chatting with Tom Jacobs, our sort of resident expert tipster at NCG, and me and him are going to discuss the golf course and Tom's expert expert tips, as well as a couple that I fancy as well. Okay, so joining us now is um, Tom Jacobs, who you will all be fairly um, uh, fairly familiar with as he is our sort of, he's NCG's resident uh, betting expert. Um, I believe we, did you come on our, was it the pre-Masters pod? Yeah, we did the, we yeah. Did the Masters, didn't we? That's where I kind of tried to convince myself and everybody that was listening that Justin Rose was going to win the Masters. Um, yeah. He did all right, didn't he? So, he did, he did, yeah. Um, and he followed up with a decent result in the PGA. So no spoilers, but we might talk about Justin Rose again at some point soon. So um, yeah, no, that, that was good fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, I think the good thing about these these Sunday chats, Matt, um, you get a little chance. I mean, like obviously, I think sort of the final selections may take Monday, Monday evening, or whatever. But mm. you kind of get an insight into our thought processes and, and what yeah. we're looking at over the past week. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoy doing these on a Sunday. No, certainly, certainly. So we'll look into the to the US Open that starts on Thursday, obviously at Los Angeles uh, Country Club. 
I was gonna I was gonna sort of try to get in your minds for like a week before. So this, so this week it's the RBC Canadian Open. Yeah. Um, say if you had a player in mind for the US Open the following week, would a bad week from them this week put you off, or would you sort of stick to your guns? I think I think a bad week would. Um, I don't think I'd overreact too much to a, a good week in the sense that it would sway me. Um, in the sense that if someone was on a shortlist and I was going to use that as a kind of uh, a deciding vote between two players, I don't think I'd lean too much in the Canadian Open. But say this, for example, if I was going to put Justin Thomas in or something and, and he played horrendously at the Canadian Open, mm. I know he wasn't obviously playing, but like if that was if that was the case, then and you want to see something from him. I mean, I, I kind of talked about Tyrrell Hatton last week as like a, um, I hope he shows some good things this week because he tends to like to play well before a major um, mm. in the leading. So yeah, like I, I think it, I think it has an effect. I don't think it's a downside um, if they, unless they play kind of like horrendous. Like if they shot ten or eleven over, then I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. concerned. Um, but if they just miss a cut by one or two, you never know quite what the motivations are for people playing the week before. Are they trying out different types of mm. shots? Are they trying to you know work on something specific in a short game? Or are they trying to win the golf tournament? Um, I think some players, I think like Rory and, and Tyrrell will try and find things like and just try and get as many birdies as possible a week off. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it's player by player, but no, I don't think it puts me off too much. Yeah, for example, like this week, they might literally just be happy with like a tied twentieth, mightn't they? Yeah. Just because it's like a little pipe pipe cleaner for the for the week ahead. Absolutely. Like I, like for example, again, like, let's, let's use Justin Rose as a good example. Like he's right up there in the in the mix, right? Um, it's only a positive. Like, even mm. if he doesn't go on to win state, let's say he shoots three or four over. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to put me off massively ahead of next week, unless, for example, he starts spraying it everywhere and he something mm. terrible off the tee, <laughs> yeah. um, which has been some of his problem this year. But no, I think I think ultimately speaking, anything kind of a warm-up is, is beneficial. Yeah. Um, I suppose, so now we're, we're in Los Angeles Country Club. Um, it's the first time, I believe it's the first time a US Open, or potentially a major, potentially a yeah, major. First major, yeah. Um, in 28 years, that's been... In Los Angeles, and it's Los Angeles Country Club's first major. Um, they hosted the Walker Cup in 2017, I believe. Um, yeah. with, with, with betting preparation, um, does a course like this that's potentially a bit of an unknown does that throw a spanner into your works? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it makes it makes it makes, the, it makes uh, this past week, weekend, and kind of like today and tomorrow that a little bit more difficult. It's nice to have these kind of chats and chat through it, and, and mm. just trying to make sense of it. I think I think one of the things I've done in the past is. Uh, what I'm guilty of is trying to look too far into it and trying to be too smart about it and find all the different angles and everything. And ultimately, like in the end, the best players come to the fore, regardless of what the Certainly. golf course is. Um, I think if it's uh, a type of course where shorter hitters can't compete, which is becoming more and more regular um, mm. as, as the years go on, then yes, you do have to factor in. But like, for example, um, th- this, this golf club was designed by George Thomas and he designed Riviera, right? And, Maybe before I'd have dived into Riviera results and things like that, but everything you hear is it's nothing like Riviera. There's no Kikuyu grass. There's no, okay. um, you know, there's uh, Bermuda rough and things like that, which is just not typical of LA venues. So, or California venues in general. So you can end up kind of backing yourself into a hole. I mean, he also designed Bel Air, which is like UCLA's um, golf course, okay. and that's going to point to like Patrick Cantlay, for example. Yeah, there's, there's very easy ways to kind of get down rabbit holes that you probably shouldn't be going down. So, um, I think ultimately, when it comes <clears> to a course like this, you kind of have to you do have to look at the scorecard and see what you know what they potentially got in front of them, but maybe not get too caught up because 
it happened okay. at Oak Hill. I got got you got so high on certain things at Oak Hill, and, and maybe what sort of courses they lean into. And actually, you know, with, with Victor Hovland being runner-up and Justin Rose being in the mix, it it worked out okay for me in the end. But like, certainly, you know, I don't think it helped necessarily. I think I just picked the best players at the right time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a George C. Thomas designed, and it was it was it was restored, I believe, by Gil Hans in 2010. Yeah. Um, but I sort of looked down Hans's. Uh, resume of restored golf courses, and he's just got absolutely well. It's 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 an illustrious long list. Sort of a Ronamink, Bolter's Roll, uh, Marion, Oakland Hills, Oakmont, um, the Olympic Club. Um, so I suppose with with, with restorations, um, maybe the clue is, is is not in sort of the club restore. It would be in the because I believe he, he wanted to restore it back to the original design um, that George Thomas had had intended in the first place. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of an un- it is an unknown LACC because well d- just in the content I've sort of been producing in the last few weeks um, it seems very it seems very exclusive on the on the website it's um, there's no sort of there's no sort of green fees there's no sort of um, yeah just sort of rates of for, for visitors um, it seems quite a closed off place so it's a very it's a very interesting it's going to be very interesting isn't it yeah they just they don't want uh, it's an exclusive membership in the mm. day. Like it's right in the middle of uh, Beverly Hills, and you know the, you'll hear it multiple times. Like the Playboy Mansion overlooks like the, the yes, whole yeah. thirteen and fourteen, right? So uh, that's the kind of <clears throat> what you're dealing with, and that's the membership. And that's why it's taken them so long to finally um, yield and give in and, and host a major championship here. And I mean, like you've got to look at kind of things on the, on the scorecard as clues. Like there's two hundred and eighty four and two hundred ninety yard par threes, which one of them I believe plays downhill, one of them doesn't. So you've got to factor that in. But they've also got a chance to manipulate all these teams. I think like fifteen is a hundred and twenty four yard par three, which actually could play about seventy eight yards. So it's it's one of those where I think you've got to look at it as a seven thousand four hundred yard par seventy. Compare that to previous you know major championships that have been of that ilk, Oak Hill, mm. similar. Um, you know, there's, there's been some talk about it being like Shinnecock in 2018. Uh, and again, I think you just ultimately got to look at past US Open performances. Like the USGA set it up how they want to set it up and they're mm. very consistent with how they set golf tournaments up. And we can get all, all in the weeds about what these, these courses are and what the designs mean and, and all these sort of things. And ultimately it could just be the USGA control it and, and that's what it yeah. is. So um, I think it's very, you know, a very good thing just to, there's some very, Good trends, which we'll go into in a minute, um, that the others have already brought up, that that kind of give you a very good insight of what we should expect this week. Yeah, um, it's for the US Open venues. It's known as the toughest test, yeah. the toughest test in golf, isn't it? The stiffest test in golf. Quite a unique, it's quite a unique competition with often unique setups. But and then I think that sometimes leads people down to the path of, well, who who plays tough setups well? Yeah, but but but. I'd, I don't know. For example, like last year, um, when when Fitzpatrick won it uh, at Brookline, um, a lot of the usual suspects were up there, such as Scheffler. Roy was the top in the top ten. Um, Zalatoris, when he's fit, is always contended at majors. So, did you do? Did did you read into course difficulty quite quite a bit as a as like a very sort of well researched tipster? So I think I think for me with with course difficulty, and it's always one of those, and as you said there, like look for the players that play difficult courses as well. And there'll be certain stats out there on different websites that will say X can play this kind of, this style of golf course at this stroke average and they rate out the best. 
it's surely got to matter what they're doing at the time, right? Like Victor Hovland, if you look at what he was like on these kind of courses at this kind of difficulty three or four years ago, it's not going to ray out very well. And that's all going to be, because there's so few tests like this on the PJ Tour, mm. the averages are going to bring in what that happened three or four years ago. And it's a fairly small sample size. And I think if you look at what Victor Hovland's done this year compared to what he was doing two or three you know, mm. years ago in majors when he first came onto the scene, I think you've got to react very quickly. So... Um, the, the kind of easiest thing people will say is like Rory McIlroy is not great at a tough test. He's much better when it's you know, yeah. X amount under par, right? And I agree, but would that mean that we should roll him out for this week? Probably not. So it's no. it's um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting test. I think that for people like us, you pull your hair out because you're trying to find as much information as you can in in very little that's available. And then it will get to kind of like Thursday when you've already made all your bets and someone's six under through seven and someone <laughs> yeah. points out that they've been a member here for 15 years and yeah. you should have known that. And it's very, you're like, you're, it's, you know, I mean, like, for example, like Max Homer shot a 61 here in the Pac-12 championships back in 2013. Mm. It's not going to be set up the same as it was for Pac-12 no, championships of in 2013. So it's <clears throat> it depends also what you're going to put into it. And again, just uh, waffling on here a little bit, but like Max Homer was a very popular pick for this major because of his record in California and then everything you've heard this week is this is nothing like a typical California mm. test nothing like uh, sorry Pines, nothing like Riviera all of a sudden we're going to throw out the window what we liked about Max Homer I don't know like mm. I mean if you weren't so high on him before then probably but if you're if you were well invested in him and think it's definitely his right major then you probably want to try and find a way to justify it still so it's uh yeah it's I see one. yeah um and also say for example Homer he's got a good record at, at um at Riviera, yeah. um, however, um, a PJ Tour Riviera setup is not going to be the same as a no. as an LACC US Open exactly. setup, is it? Yeah, we just see it all the time. Like we, we see these things and we think, like this is a perfect venue for them. Everything aligns <laughs> for them to do well, and then they miss the cut, and you're like, yeah. you know, what happened? Like everyone was talking about how it was a perfect setup for Rory McIlroy at the Masters this year. Like he was in great form, or everyone everyone spoke about how good a form he was in. And I thought it was a little bit overhyped. I think we put into conversation yeah. on the podcast before and. He missed the cut, and I, I certainly didn't expect him to miss the cut, but it wasn't a massive surprise to me. So we get these things in our head and these stigmas in our head of you know what is right for a major championship, and like people will look at this and they would have looked at different US Open venues, California venues, and then I've heard people like Andy liken it to like Augusta because it's like mm. a wide you've got these wide open fairways where you can hit driver, and then one person will say it punishes the wide misses off the tee. And not so much those when they were two yards off the tee, like they were at Oak Hill last uh, last major. Mm. Or you've got the people that say you can spray it and don't worry about it. So it really, you, you'll hear different conflicting bits of um, content throughout the week. And I don't know who's going to be right or wrong until we see it. Um, but I certainly just tend to lean into those guys that have been playing US Open as well in good form. And there's really nothing to work out from there. It should all kind of line up itself. Mm. I've, I've never spoken to this um, to you about this before, but how, how big are you on in-play in golf betting? Do you ever... Do you ever wait for the first round to finish and then and, and then go 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 in? Because in yeah. 2000, in, in twenty twenty one when the Open was at St George's, yeah. um, I had a little look on the odds. Um, I, I can't remember who was leading. It might have been Ustase, maybe. I can't really remember who was leading after the first rounds. But um, Morikawa was only sort of three or four behind after the first rounds, and he was eighteen to one. Yeah. I sort of thought, God, that's good. So, so I actually backed him, and it, and it came. It became it came uh, to work. So are, are you are you sort of big on in play betting? I think I've done it more when I've been there, right? So, like, mm. for 2021, for example, would be, a, would be a really good example because if you were there um, in 2021, it was boiling hot. There was no yeah. wind. 
Um, you can very quickly go, look, this isn't an open championship. There was like four US, uh, US players inside the top five uh, in the scores. Um, there's a few more tied than that, but like there, there was four players amongst like top 10 players on the leaderboard. And you can very quickly go, okay, well, the Americans have got a chance here, um, which they have done in the open championship for years anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that the, the clearest... I've ever had that was at the 2015 Open Championship at St Andrews, so same major championship. But uh, me and my dad were there, and Mark Leishman had shot whatever he'd shot on, on Saturday. It was like something ridiculous. Like he was way better than everybody else in the morning. Mm. Um, and he was actually tied for the lead, I think, going into they then kind of paused play. And he was like 50 to 1 still. And it was because everyone kind of thought that Adam Scott, whoever it was, yeah. was at the top, was going to go out and just shoot way beyond him and he was going to get left behind. And we were like, well, no, it's like it's, it's terrible weather. Like, it's going to be hard to kind of catch up. And he was in the playoff and he lost. Yeah. But, like, it it does you, – you kind of benefit from those sort of things at the time. I think, mm. I think eventually – like I think it might have been that Jason Day or someone actually pips ahead of him going into the final round. There was something like that. So he wasn't actually in the lead mm. going into the final round, but he was just playing so well and – I don't do it a lot, but I think you should. Yeah, I, th- I really yeah. do think you should. Like some of the, the odds for like Bruce Kepka after round one, uh, who kill were way better than they were. At the start. Mm. Um, I think he went out to like forty to one quite quickly. Yeah, because he because he was like two over through three or something. Wasn't that? Yeah. I don't know really yeah. who he was, but like um, you, ca- I think it's a good thing if you were on a player uh, or you like to play before the week. Let's let's say Scotty Scheffler. Let's say you wanted to bet Scotty Scheffler, but you really can't do it at seven eight to one, whatever he is this week. Um, but he's fourteen to one after nine holes because he's mm. been a bit slow. I'd probably look at it. Like I think that's probably the way to play it. Um, I don't know that we should react because we see so many that go and shoot five or six hundred on the first day and then never yeah. really come back. So it, you have to be. I guess as long as you're structured with it, and as long as you're, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but like you're sensible with it and and regimented, and don't just start throwing bets here, there, and everywhere on it. Um, because otherwise, yeah. you, can start, you can start betting on people like Eric Cole yeah. or whatever <laughs> yeah. after round one of the PJ Championship. You can get, you can kind of get a bit scattered. Out there. If, you, if yeah. you stick to it and say like, okay, well, you know, Scotty Scheffler's only one back of Bryson DeChambeau and Bryson's not been playing as much and all those sort of things. Like it, it does work out pretty well. So yeah, mm. I think there's, there's definitely value in it. I don't do it that much, uh, but quite often it's because for some reason I end up having massive plans yeah. at the end of a major championship and I can't watch it as close as I want to. Um, that's always thankful that people do that to me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think it, it definitely changes, but it is a good idea. I think I, I would definitely advocate for it if people were mm. to um, yeah, so on, on on the I mean on the recent list of US Open champions, there's been quite yeah. a there's been quite a, an array of players with an array of different array of different qualities. You've got Fitzpatrick Ram, Bryson Woodland, Brooks, uh, DJ Jordan Spieth, go back to Martin Kimer as well, Justin yeah. Rose. But what I think what that also shows um, in the last sort of few years is that Europeans have, I mean, not not that it's a shock because obviously Euro- Europeans um, occupy a lot of you know high ranking ranking places. Um, yeah. They perform well on the PGA Tour, but but they do they do. Europe is well represented at the US Open and has been for the last sort of ten years or so. Um, so if we sort of delve into who we who we might allude to who could win, it, which European would be at the top of your list? Uh, 100% be Victor Hovland again for me. Mm. Like he, he straight away goes into the top. I think he's probably, if all odds were removed for it and I just had to pick one player, I think there's not, I, maybe Scotty Scheffler, 
But other than him, there's probably not someone I'm more confident in than Victor Hovland this week. I think he's in a better place than John Rahm and Roy McIlroy. I think it's very, very hard to expect Brooks Koepka to go 2-1-1, although he definitely can do it. Xander yeah. um, Schauffele is what he is at the moment. I don't think he's necessarily the person that you want to be back in winning on a Sunday. And then you kind of got Cantlay and Spieth around him. So the next European you're looking at is the defending champion in Matt Fitzpatrick, um, Cyril Hassan, who's been playing very, very good golf, and Justin Rose, as we alluded to earlier. So once you've kind of got John Rahm and Roy McIlroy out of the way, I think Victor Hovland is, is the clearest one and the odds reflect that. Um, but I actually have more confidence in him than both of those right now. Yeah, I think uh, Hovland was one I'd um, lined up before, before before we started speaking today just because yeah. I feel like it's important to 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 get on the train with these sort of players when, when they're in this sort of form. But before the Memorial, he could have easily have won um, other big events. He, he didn't really... in the, At the players and the Masters, it was sort of typical Hovland, wasn't it? Whereas... Um, where he didn't really make a good fist of it in the final rounds, whereas yeah. at the PGA he that that was a clear the PGA Championship the Sunday I feel like was a clear improvement in his performance it sort of uh, uh, under the gun he was he, he Kepka might have ended up winning anyway had Hovland not have uh, made a mistake in in, in the yeah. bunker late on. However, th- th- that was a clear sign I thought that Hovland was maybe was maybe turned a corner maybe gr- grown up to a certain extent. And I thought that was a really good sign that, um, well, it was a good sign that that Memorial win was coming, but it certainly could be a good sign that a major win's coming as well. Yeah, for me, like when you look at Victor Hovland and very much this US Open, uh, I'll bring this into this now. So Niall Lyons, who, who does the Australia UK stuff. So oh, yeah. he's, look, he's looked at the previous winners of the US Open and, and what their previous major finish was. So Fitzpatrick won in 2022 and he was fifth at the PGA before that. Um, Ram won in 2021 he'd finished 8th at the PGA before that Bryson won the 2020 renewal he finished 4th at the PGA before that Gary Woodland uh, won in 2019 won the, uh, he finished 8th at the PGA uh, before that and then Brooks back to back and he was 13th for the PGA 11th for the Masters and he, he can go all the way back to before Martin Keimer uh, right away back to Martin Keimer, everyone had finished inside the top 13, 14 in their previous major mm-hmm. uh, and even Martin Keimer actually finished 31st in the Masters before winning the US Open, but that was actually his best ever Masters finish by a pretty decent margin as well. He hadn't played very well at Augusta up to that point. I think he's only bested one since finishing like 16th. So what you did in a previous major is massive. And this is why I spoke about Victor Hovland at the PGA Championship so heavily, is that he'd been in the penultimate, he'd been in the final group, sorry, at the Open Championship, didn't perform very well, but he was at the penultimate group of the Masters as well. And all of a sudden he's in the final group. And to your point, Matt, like, I don't think he did an awful lot. Like obviously, the, mm. the terrible drive on the well, not even terrible drive, but the drive that led him to being in that bunker and the terrible second shot choice, um, or even just the luck that he had. Yeah, um, it probably wouldn't have mattered because he was he just ran into Brooks Kepka that week. Any other player that was in that final round, and this is what people don't like. People just look at okay, Victor Holden's been poor in final rounds. They don't look at who he's been playing against. He's been playing against Rory. He's been playing against Brooks. He's been playing against real elite members. It's not like he was going up against Denny McCarthy like he was last time because when he did, he went up against him and beat him. Right. So, um, yeah, I think there's nothing better than the value you gain from being in contention at the mar- at any major. Mm. And I think Hovland has shown it now. Fourth, seventh and second his last three majors. Even before that, he'd had two 12s and a 13th in majors as well. Um, and two of them were in his major championship. So to me, I just think Victor's got all the tools. There has been some talk about the fact that he's actually had uh, some sort of course management coaching. And I think that's probably oh, what's wow. actually helped him. Um, because everyone focuses on that short game, right? And yeah, I think the idea yeah. is that 
actually just don't get yourself in that you know yeah. trouble yeah. in the first place and you'll probably be all right <laughs> yeah uh, easier said than done but he is the type of person that can seem to avoid it so yeah. um and when you look at again like even when you look at previous majors and stuff like he played pretty well at um pebble beach he was a low amateur there and he played i think well again at tory pine so he's played two california majors and played them pretty well so yeah um no sorry he, did, he didn't play well at tory pine he withdrew from tory pines but he played well at pebble beach so he's he's had those two opportunities where he's played really really well um in california and he's just come off a recent win i don't see why it's hoffling can't yeah i think he's one of those players that if you sort of if you don't, if you don't um, back him, if, if you sort of opt with someone else, if you if you're not undecided, if you're undecided, and you don't back Hovland. You, 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 you'll probably see on Thursday, on Thursday evening, that he's sort of three under after nine. You're thinking, yeah. oh, I'd I'd be gutted this week. Like if people always ask you, and I think we kind of ask it on our podcast a lot. Like who who do you not want to win because you were close to them or whatever? <laughs> um, I won't have that problem because I will back Victor Hovland. I think. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, probably when the tips come out tomorrow, he'll be leading it. Um, and I understand people that say, look, he's 16 to 1 now, where he was, whereas he was like 28 to 1, 20 odd to 1 before. But it's got to be reflected in what he's done. Yeah. Like he's, he's been he's been so good in the last two majors and he's just won. There's not, there's not really any reason why he shouldn't be 16 to 1. Yeah. Like if I had the choice of playing him or Xander Schoffelet right now, it's, it's quite clear who I'm picking. So um, not to keep picking on Xander too much. So, <laughs> yeah, like, I think I think ultimately Vitz Hovland leads Europe's hopes this week. You mentioned Shoffley. It's, it's quite, to be fair to him th- th- this season. I mean, say if you from, from January to now, if yeah. you were to pick out three or four of the big performers this season, you probably wouldn't say Xander Shoffley. I don't think. But but his stats, he's he's world number six. Um, I think he's third in scoring average. Yeah. On 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 the PGA Tour. Um. Yeah. Only only second to. Well, well, behind Scheffler and John Rahm, yeah, um, he sort of had a sneaky, a sort of a sneaky, good season um, so far. Um, he's fourth in strokes gained in total, sixth approaching the green. Um, those are just sort of the bare, the, the bare statistics. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I've, I've alluded it to it with Alex, with Alex before on on previous podcasts. Um, it's just that will he actually win, sort of thing. I don't. I don't remember a time. I guess he had a chance. Was it the 2019 Masters when Tiger won? I think he had a chance. Going uh, he, to... he had a chance. He sort of competed with Hideki, I think, at the Masters yeah. as well. Yeah, and he had, he had a decent opportunity there, didn't he? Like He's had a couple of times where he's been in the mix, but it's never felt like it was Xander Schauffele's major to lose, mm. right? So I don't, I don't feel like... I don't think he's even gone as close as what Victor did at the PGA. So whereas you are talking about someone that at the US Open has finished 5th, 6th, 3rd, 5th, 7th and 14th. Like he's <laughs> he's unbelievable. Um, so would a Xander Shuffle win surprise me? No, but can I back it? No. No. Because I just I just don't feel and again this is kind of we're talking about players won seven times already and he's on the PJ tour, one of them being a, a dual event, but like I just don't see him winning. And it, mm. it's just it's really mm. bizarre because he has done it, he's done it seven times, he's done it in big events, he's He's great under the gun um, for at least three rounds. It just seems to be that once that Sunday comes around, he hasn't quite got it, or he backdoors it in the Sunday when he hasn't when he hasn't been in contention. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. Like there'll be plenty of people, like especially for like DraftKings purposes and things like that. Like plenty of people will pick him out because he fits the models really well. He's got that ridiculous record in the US Open. Like it's it's the best US Open record of anyone in terms of just consistency. But 
do I want to see someone like a John Rahm who's had a first and a fourth and then a couple of middling finishes, or do I want the Shoffle that finishes inside the top 14 every single time he's played it? I want the John Rahm because I want the person that's got the wing element. Yeah. Like Rahm's gone third, 23rd, first and 12th over the last four years in the US Open, and he's behind Shoffle because Shoffle's gone sixth, third, fifth, seventh, and fourteenth. Like, <laughs> it's just consistency, right? Yeah, and I, and I can completely understand that. And for, for certain purposes, people want someone that's just going to give them a run. Um, and, and that I absolutely understand. Maybe there's some each-way value in Xander Shoffle, but I can't see him winning. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I tend to agree, to be fair. I was looking down the um, the odds, um, and obviously Brooks Kepka represents the best chance from Live Golf to to yeah. to contend um and then i think it, the next one's dj who has a good record at riviera um for, for what it's worth um and then i think with live golfers not, not not to discredit any of them because because they've performed very very well obviously as we can see at the pga and the masters yeah. um, but i think there is that thing of motivation and and how and how prepared they are i suppose they do have more time as i keep saying to prepare but um DeChambeau, Reed, Kepka have all been fantastic. Um, and there's not many. And in the top 10 or 15, I think it's safe to say there will be two or three of them that are going to be in the top 15, if not four or five. Yeah. Um, and as you go down the the list of, of, of the odds, um, your Joachim Neiman and Patrick Reed are like, um, they're like the third or fourth favourite in terms of live players. And they're, they're, about 80, they're about 80 to one. Yeah. And, Dare I say it, Phil Mickelson's 125 to one. <laughs> um, so, with their major pedigree, I, th- I think, I think, in personally, I think there's some value to be had there. Yeah, I do. Look, I think the one person's been ultimately disappointing. And when I talked about this, I think it was probably on the PJ podcast of my own. Like, people were kind of linked to Dustin Johnson being at Live, and that's why he's struggling so much in the majors now. But, but it was kind of happening before. Like, he played well at St Andrews, but before that, after. Between the Masters winning that St Andrews performance, he was kind of struggling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not in terms of like everybody else, maybe not so much. Like he's still top ten in kind of stroke average in majors and whatever. But like when you look at since he's winning uh, the twenty twenty one, um, sorry the twenty twenty Masters, he's gone miscut, miscut, nineteenth, eighth, twelfth, miscut, twenty fourth, sixth, forty eighth, fifty fifth in majors. There's three miscuts in there. There's a 48th and a 55th this year. So actually, I'm quite happy to go against Dustin Johnson. This, mm. These are the sort of things that get clipped up <laughs> quite nicely um, on podcasts and get put out yeah. when people um, listen to you and think, oh, you've ruled out one of the best players in the world. But um, he's just not playing like that right now. Mm. Um, and he was actually, I think he was close at the start. He might have been second or third place after round one at Oak Hill mm. and just was terrible. I think he shot like three rounds of 73 or something or 74 after that. So... Um, yeah, he would be the one I'd be worried about, lack of reps and things like that. Just doesn't seem to be quite applying it, grinding away, whereas Brooks is playing well on live. I think you've mm. got to look at like those guys that, like, as much as we don't know what form on live means, if they're playing well, they're playing well, right? Certainly, um, yeah. Patrick Reed was going into the, the Masters. Uh, Mickelson wasn't, which was a bit of a surprise considering what he'd done uh, at Augusta. We've got to remember that was one round as well. So I think mm. I'm looking at kind of like Bryson in terms of the leading live hope just because of how good he was uh, at the PGA Championship and people always mock DeChambeau for what he said about Augusta and it being a past mm. 67 or whatever it was for him but this is a US Open winner, this is someone that finished 8th at St Andrews and then 4th last time out at Oak Hill so to me if, if you can use driver a lot and you're not going to be so severely punished every time 
Um, I think that, and to be fair, I think Bryson's kind of like top 10 in accuracy at, at Oak Hill as well. So to me, I think he's playing well enough now that he can get in the mix. Uh, so if I, was think, if I was thinking of a live golfer, it'd probably be Bryson. Uh, Neiman would make sense if Riviera counted for anything. Obviously, he won there so brilliantly. Mm. And then I guess you got the question. You got the Cameron Smith question, who's been certainly yeah, thirty fourth and ninth in the last two majors. Um, yeah, bookies haven't started doing sort of separate live live markets, have they? Not yet. No, no. There, there might be something on on Monday. Uh, yeah, those. But um, no, I don't think yeah. I've seen it yet. It, it would be interesting if they did. I, I would probably again. I'd probably bet Bryson in that just because I think there's a decent amount of value. Like he was one hundred twenty five to one for the PGA. Um, <laughs> He's now fifty. And I still think it's quite good value. Yeah. So that probably says what I think of Bryson as a as a talent. <laughs> We're on Bryson about version sixty seven by this point, aren't we? He's, he's rechanged and reshaped and everything again. So um, it's, you never quite know what you're going to get with Bryson. No, certainly one, not. I, I do like him. So yeah. um, maybe a little bit of insight there into where my thinking is going into the week. Yeah. Um, so we sort of know your strongest fancy. I think I think you, you made that very clear with with. Victor Hovland, but have yeah. you got any sort of? You, you, you always like to um, have, a, have a, maybe a triple digit figure in there for, for, yeah. for a player. Have you got anyone in mind or or a couple in mind without giving too much away for your tips coming out tomorrow? Yeah, like I think I think I've had a look at a couple. Um, I think Denny McCarthy, just based on mm. what he did at Memorial and the fact that he he actually played pretty well. I think he had a top ten, maybe even top. Yeah, I think it was a top ten in this major championship. In the past, um, I need to sort of double check on that just to make sure. I'm, yeah, he was tied seventh um, at the US Open last year at Brookline. If this is a course that doesn't rely too much on distance, then we're looking at someone that's finished seventh at the US Open and 29th last time out at Oak Hill. He's now just had a really good chance to win on the PJ Tour. Mm. Is he going to bounce back straight away from a playoff loss to suddenly go and win a major championship? Probably not, but I think there's probably a decent amount of value in triple digits with Denny McCarthy, who seems to be. Because it used to be very, very putting related for Danny McCarthy, mm. didn't it? Um, and all of a sudden, I think he's kind of been more well-rounded in his game. So he would be one. And then I was going to take a little bit... I haven't done this yet, but I was going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into Patrick Rogers. I think Patrick Rogers okay. is playing some interesting golf right now. Um, again, not someone you, you particularly think he's going to win because of <laughs> how many years he's been out there and not done it. But I looked at his US Open record. And the reason I was looking at Patrick Rogers so... Um, George Thomas, I believe, designed the Stanford golf course. And that's obviously yes, where he went to yes, yes. And at the US Open, Rogers has been 46, 41st, 31st, and 31st. He never missed a cut in a major cha- in in the US Open. He was 29th in the PGA last time out. He's only missed one. He's played in six majors and missed one cut. So actually, he doesn't seem to be overawed by the occasion of playing in a major championship. Obviously, he's you know, lacking a decent finishing one. But he just seems to be someone that is finding his feet. I mean, it's taking some time, yeah. isn't it? But um, yeah, like it just seems to be playing. He's had like fifth and 10th place finishes in the last six or seven starts. He was fifth at the Texas Open where he was a 54-hole leader. He's 10th at Mexico with a final round 64, 19th at the Heritage. And I said he had that 29th at the PGA. The, the trouble with that is he never really got close. So I think he's very much a top 20, top whatever but he was ninth going into the final round at Memorial. So he just seems to seems to be finding something. I think he might benefit from being in California. But honestly, Matt, like I, I don't I don't see the winner coming from the triple digit range. And I know everyone yeah, of course, wants, yeah. wants someone to. Um and I and it's great to look at it. 
Miso Pereira, we're talking about people that have played well in, mm. you know, live events. He's been playing pretty well. Um, and, and Gary Woodland's a former winner, but like, I don't know where his... Like, I was so keen on him for the PJ Championship, but he didn't... Yeah, didn't well, so was I. He's, 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 he's one I backed, and he was in a feature group as well. So he, the, the, clearly the, the organisers are caught on to it yeah. as well. They, they knew, didn't they? They knew, what, <laughs> they knew what people... I think they are finally sort of paying attention to what the sort of betting um, people are talking about in these. But... I guess the other one who I, I really can't get to grips with at the moment, but Harris English has been fourth and third in US Opens in 2020 and 2021. Um, so that may be of, of note considering the third came in Tory yeah. Pines, which is in California. Again, we're not we're not expecting it to play much like Tory Pines at all, but um, he was 12th at Colonial, wasn't he? He actually should have really probably won that uh, tournament. Mm. He was one of the favourites going into the final round based on the fact we had Harry Hall and um Adam Schenk out there I think it was yeah um and then it was obviously Grillo that came to the fore but yeah I think I think English is an interesting name as well but yeah I haven't, I haven't looked too much into that yet because I'm still trying to sort of mm. nail down the top of the market which Certainly. obviously I've kind of given it clear who I do like at the moment yeah um for what it's worth one one sort of outsider that I've just on the basis basically I, I've, I've probably represent the, the more sort of bog standard golf punter whereas obviously you're, you're more of a you're more of an expert, but what one player I sort of picked up on before we came on, um, just to finish things up, was Kurt Kitayama. Um, yeah, he could be found at about well, 175 to one at some places, 150 to one. Um, the only thing is his record this year is quite hit and miss. Um, we we know we know he won the Arnold Palmer Invitational, um, and then came tied fifth at the World Golf, uh, no, the, the, the match play, which must have been the quarterfinals. Yeah, um, but then missed the cut of the Masters, missed the cut of the RBC Heritage. Mr. Cup at the Memorial. So, again, t- then came tied fourth at the PGA Championship. So, um, and he's quite highly ranked. He, I think he's 20th in the world, 14th in the FedEx Cup standings. Um, and he's quite high up in the Ryder Cup, US Ryder Cup rankings as well. So, yeah. just on, 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 on paper, I think that would be um, a, a good one to, for people to look out for. Um, and certainly one I'll be considering next week so- as well, I think. Certainly, when you look at like world rankings versus value, he's got to be. Like yeah, I say he's got to be up there, right? Like that's that's the main thing you got to look at, and it depends how you value those world rankings. I guess like there's a, there's a lot of debate about world rankings at the moment. Yeah, what certainly. I remember is that he won Bay Hill over Harris English and Rory McIlroy. He's finished fourth in his most recent major, and I think I think with someone like Kirk Kisiama, who's only been playing majors since 2019, um, a lot of missed cuts in there, mm. but he's suddenly come fourth in one. It depends how much stock you put in there. Like yeah. Oak Hill could be a really like we could get to the end of the week and go, oh, it looks very much like Oak Hill did, um, you know, in the last major championship. And the surest indicator, as we kind of spoke about uh, at the start of the show, uh, in terms of previous major finishes, is is it right? You know, like Fitzpatrick fifth at the PGA before he wins the US Open, Rahm eighth at the PGA mm. before the US Open, Bryson fourth at the PGA, uh, Wooden eighth, Kepka thirteenth. If you're going on that basis, since the the move in the schedule, you're looking at you're only looking at players that have been inside the top 13 yeah, uh, in the yeah. previous major, which I don't think you can quite limit it down to. <laughs> um, otherwise, you're losing a lot of the people that you might want to bet on. But that's Brooks, Hovland, Scheffler, who are three of, what, the top seven most likely players to, to win it. You've got Bryson, Kitsiama, Davis in there, Stracker, McElroy, Rose, Canley, mm. Smith, Perez, Connors, Larry. Do you need to go much further than that? Maybe not. No, um, that's true. So, yeah, I think I think as much as... I think that the thing with Kirk Kitayama is you don't know. Mm, I think yeah. he, like it's he's unknown, a, isn't it? He's a volatile player, but sometimes that's what you want. Like mm. you, but that's the reason he's still in the triple digits, right? Because if he was, if he was consistent and his, 
his consistent play let that uh, match kind of what his best outcomes can be, he would be fifty to one. So yeah, yeah. Um, there's certainly worse bets, Matt. Um, yes, yeah. Well, I love thinking about downplay it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something to look at. Um, <laughs> and then I guess one that's I think he's triple digits in a couple of places. I do think Siwoo Kim at some point is going to come good. Well, we played. In, in a major. I, I, I thought he was going to win for you last week. To be honest, I did. Yeah, he's going I mean, very well. I was hoping so. We need to get on. We need to get on the board again with uh, a winner <laughs> on, the, on the national club golf basis, don't we? So, um, I was kind of hoping for that, but I think it's just such a player that's been so underrated for so long, and I understand it. And I think it's because of these major championships that he hasn't done mm. so well in that he is so underrated. But in US Open, he's got a thirteenth place finish. He's got a thirteenth place finish at the PGA. He's got a 12th at the Masters. Like he's only probably he's got 15th in last year's Open. Like he's probably only two or three shots. I always wonder, you know, like the little yellow boxes you get on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a tweet about this on Tyrrell Hatton. So (laughs) I always wonder how much people look at those yellow boxes on Wikipedia and go, "Oh, he can play Mage as well." (laughs) Um, Because if Tyrrell Hatton had um, finished one shot better in about three of his last five majors, he'd have like three more yellow squares. And I just always (laughs) think people go, "Oh, he's due a major." Yeah. Um, so I wonder if there's a little bit of that with Siwoo Kim because he's like, what was he 25? Siwoo Kim? He's not. He's not old. It's always yeah. 27 years. Um, it's because he's been he's been around. He's been a uh, professional since 2012. People mm. expect so much from him. Um, but this is a guy that's won four times on the tour already. Lost three in a playoff. And where should he have finished last time out in a Memorial? I don't know. Uh, I'd like to think he should have won. Certainly, but, yeah. Um, you know, he put himself behind the eight ball right at the start. So yeah, maybe someone to look at as well. Yeah. Um, well, I think that I think we can wrap up there, Tom. I'm buzzing for it. I'm always buzzing for US Open, the major golf. Um, thanks again, Tom. Thanks for joining us. And I'm sure we'll have you on again very soon. Yeah. No, good luck, everyone, this week. And thank you again for having me, Matt. As ever, cracking insight. And um, you can see his tips this week on the NCG website. Um, let's hope he has a winner like he did at the Masters with John Rahm. Your thought, your thoughts, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's hard when you have a major championship not to consider the major suspects. Um, I would argue that Scotty Scheffler, that given his position uh, at the top of the rankings, given how he performs in majors generally, and this year in particular, is probably the worthy favourite. Um, there's not a lot of players have seen this golf course. He is one of the players mm-hmm. who has. Um, so it's not a surprise to see him at the top of the rankings. Brooks Kepka in double-figure odds intrigues me. I mean, I'm you know looking at um, you know odds checker obviously where, where where Tom does a lot of his work. I mean, you can get Kepka as we as we speak at the moment at eleven to one. Well, for a guy who you know won the PGA Championship handily, some people might argue was pretty much in the frame at the Masters mm. uh, until quite late on. For him to get double figure odds um, is is pretty attractive. I would say there'll still be a lot of people who go for Rory, who go for Ram. Um, a little further down the principles, Hovland, um, obviously in really, really good yeah. form. Uh, people are just sort of clicking down to the time, I think, when he wins a major. And, uh, and maybe the little back spasm um, that Moikawa has had has put a couple of people off, but no one will have better knowledge of that course than he does. We all know about his exceptional iron play. And, you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking with some firms at 28 to 1 there. Um, very 28, yeah. 28 to 1 very attractive home yeah. comforts uh, is something that yeah 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 well as Tom said there as well <clears throat> excuse me um, his his main fancy is Victor Hovland's and I, I, I'm sort of on that train as well um, and also I think there's, a, there's as I sort of said with Tom there's a little bit of the value to be had for some of the live players people like Patrick Reed 
um, Joachim Neiman. They've got a bit of pedigree in big, big tournaments. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting week. Um, thank you, Steve, for joining me on on the Slam. Um, you might be required to come back next week or the week after. We don't know yet, do we? It's sort of a week-by-week thing. Well, yeah, happy, happy, to, happy to pop in as required. Enjoy the week, Steve. Cheers. Cheers, Matt.